on this long weekend. Thank you for dropping in on us. So those who know me know that uh, before I started at Bentley, I was working in the funeral industry. Some people get a bit freaked out that we call it an industry, but yes, it is. I worked for a funeral company for a few years as a funeral director. Uh, it was a good company. Everyone took their job seriously. Uh, it's not an a industry you can be involved in without taking it a bit seriously. But at the end of the days, most of us were employees. Uh, everyone I worked with, with were good employees, diligent and so on, but still employees. You did what you were told, and if you were smart or lucky, you knocked off at 5 o'clock. After three years there, I started my own business as a funeral celebrant, and uh, my relationship with work completely changed. If you've ever been in business, you know exactly what I mean. Uh, I wasn't an employee anymore, I was an owner. Suddenly knocking off at five o'clock really didn't matter. Keeping hours wasn't an issue. Keeping work-life balance was, but not hours. Satisfied clients was what really mattered. Um, accountants and taxation suddenly became a whole lot more interesting. But what is interesting is that my most of my work initially came from the company I used to work for. Only now I didn't work for them. My relationship with that company changed as well. I wasn't, uh, they couldn't really tell me what to do. I didn't work for them. I worked for the family, but I worked closely with them and just the, the, the whole relationship of course changed there. I don't think I was a nine to five sort of employee before that but uh, I certainly wasn't that afterwards as well. I valued them, I valued their business, it was just a different relationship. And it's amazing how a change in relationship whether it's in business or, or some other way can really change your attitude to something. So a question Christians have often wrestled with as we talk about changes in relationship is the relationship between the Old Testament law and us as believers in Jesus Christ. And we've been tracking this over the last few weeks as we're making our way through Galatians. If you were with us a couple of weeks back, we looked at Galatians uh, 3, 1 to 9, the, the section before this, uh, and you might remember that Paul uh, is argu was arguing that prior to the sign of circumcision and the giving of the law, God made unconditional promises to Abraham, uh, and Abraham believed God, and on that, on that basis, rather than on the basis of law, uh, his faith was credited to him as righteousness. And then that the presence of the Holy Spirit through signs and wonders and gifts and, and all sorts of things going on in Galatia proved to the Galatians that actually God was with them and pleased with them on the basis of faith. That this flirting with the law was unnecessary. And if you missed that, you can check out the podcast. 
In our passage today, Paul begins to dig uh, deep into the theology of, of Christ and the law. He's really starting to unpack this a bit more about how can this be? If the law is so important, how can it be that it no longer applies? And obviously, it's a long passage. We've only got time to take a high-level view of it today. Uh, and uh, look, if you'd like to dig a bit deeper, you can check out John Stott's volume on Galatians in the Bible Speaks Today series now i've put a link in the notes which is in the app if you haven't downloaded the app yet you can go to our website afterwards and, and do that but the sermon notes are in there and that's a very accessible uh, very easy to read commentary on galatians so in verses 15 to 20 of our passage today paul says the law was added as a kind of addendum to god's promise it's like a codicil to a will in this particular case he says it was only a temporary addendum and it didn't negate the original promise if you remember we said that God gave the promise to Abraham Abraham believed God and that was credited to him as righteousness God then gave circumcision to Abraham sometime later and Paul reminds us it's not until 430 years later at Mount Sinai that the law is given so he's got nothing really to do with the promise the promise precedes that and stands independent of it in fact the law he says is inferior because while the promise was given by God directly to Abraham the law was actually given, he says, by mediators. So one mediator was Moses. God speaks to Moses on Sinai. So God's directly giving the law, but not to Israel. Moses gives the law to Israel. And actually, uh, Deuteronomy tells us also that there were angels involved with that. And that's what Paul's probably referencing in this paragraph. And so unlike the promise which came direct from God to Abraham, the law came via mediators from God to Israel. And so Paul says, look, the, the law is already inferior to the promise on that basis alone. This potentially opened Paul up to an accusation though. Are you, Paul, saying that the law is contrary to God's promise? Is there some sort of conflict here? Did the Jews get it wrong or did God somehow make a mistake? And in fact, a hundred years after Paul, a theologian came along and said exactly this. Uh, his name was Marcion. And he actually said that the God of the Old Testament was different to the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament was, was evil. And he wanted to redact anything to do with the law from his Bible. So his Bible comprised of about 10 letters of Paul and uh, a cut-down version of Luke that took out anything to do with the law, and, and that was his Bible. Not surprisingly, he was condemned as a heretic. Paul's response to that potential accusation is that, no, 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 the law wasn't a mistake. The law's not contrary to God's will, but the law did have a specific and temporary purpose. It wasn't something, as the Jews thought, that was designed to make us righteous. It just it couldn't 
do that. He says in verses 10 to 14, the law couldn't make us righteous because the law places a curse on anyone who doesn't perfectly fulfill it. No one can follow the law perfectly. I mean, how many of us have followed the law perfectly? How many think we could follow the law perfectly? And here's a question. How many of you have actually read the whole law? Do you know what's in there? I've read it and I don't. Good thing. Good thing we're under grace. In any case, it's faith that makes us righteous, Paul reminds us. Because that's how Abraham was made righteous and Abraham is the source of all this. He, he begins it. So it's faith that makes us righteous, not the law. It's not that the law is contrary to God's promise. It's not that the law is a mistake. It just had a specific purpose and we have to understand what that purpose is. Well, why not skip law altogether then and go straight to faith and grace? And so Paul explains this a little bit. We read in verses 21 to 23 that the purpose of the law, rather than aiming to make us righteous, was to educate us about sin so that the true means of righteousness could be revealed. Paul says the law was like a guardian or a tutor. Now the Greek word here is the, we, the word we get pedagogue from. So we talk about pedagogy as in education but in Paul's day a pedagogue was a household slave who wasn't in charge of a child's education he was more in charge of a child's protection and upbringing and so teaching them social manners and making sure they could function in society and obviously this was in households that could afford to have a number of slaves with this level uh, of specialization so upper class aristocratic household Although some pedagogues were, were kind, uh, they did have a little bit of a reputation for being quite harsh. Um, because the problem for the pedagogue was if the child stepped out of line and was punished, the pedagogue would be punished as well because it was their fault. They're the one meant to be raising up the child properly and they're only a slave anyway, so they don't have that many rights to speak of. Once the child came of age and became a full member of the household, the pedagogue no longer had any authority over them. So that status, like my status with my former company, completely changed. Now actually the child is in charge of the pedagogue, if anything. But if the pedagogue had done their job right, then they would have instilled the correct social values, the correct behaviours in that child so they could be a properly functioning member of society, a good citizen. And so in the same way, the law was a good thing and we learned a lot from it. And, you know, we still think of, and we do, we act like this, we still go back to the law as Christians for advice but our relationship to the law has changed. Now it's like an old mentor, maybe an old friend, but not someone who can tell us what to do. It was a codicil that's no longer in effect. It was a guardian that no longer has any authority over us. 
And Paul says it's all because of Jesus, the seed of Abraham, the promised one. In verses 10 to 13, he says the law brought a curse until Christ became a curse for us by dying on the cross. In verse 22, we read something that's a little tricky in the Greek, but to the effect that God's promise comes by the faith or the faithfulness of Jesus to all who believe. We have faith in Jesus, but it actually hangs on his faithfulness, not on ours. In verse 24, the law ceased to be our guardian when Christ came. And we gain entry to the promise and we're justified by faith in Christ, in verse 14, it's because of Christ we receive the promised spirit by faith. In verse 22, it's because of Christ's faithfulness that the promise is given to all who have faith. In verse 24, we're justified by faith. And in verses 25 and 26, and this is where I want to bring it this morning, all of this means that through faith we're now God's children and we're not just children paul specifically says sons now not all translations will pick that up because uh bibles try to be a bit more inclusive today but it is significant in in this context because in paul's culture as sadly in many cultures today sons were worth more than daughters that was the fact that daughters were often if a daughter was born they were often just left exposed to die Everyone wanted a son. But of course, in the gospel, women are included in the same status as men. And the point is, regardless of whether you're male or female, you're a f the father's favoured child. You're no longer under a mediated uh, will, but a direct promise. And you're no longer under a guardian, but in direct relationship with the father. As evangelical Christians, we're very fond of saying Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. But that's actually only partly true. By any meaningful standard, Christianity is a religion. We have doctrines, we have a system of worship, we have nearly every church has a hierarchy of leadership. Uh, and these have been refined in the case of Baptists over centuries and in the case of the church as a whole over millennia and it affects every part of our life but it is a religion that's based on relationship and that religion flows out of relationship and it's not just a relationship between me and God it's a relationship between God and the world membership in his family is no longer on the basis of race and rules but on the basis of faith in christ and so that should change our attitude to everything like my change from an employee to a contractor changed my relationship and my attitude to my old company now as i said i wasn't a nine to five employee but it certainly was a change there the thing is, even after 2,000 years of Christianity, we still so often let the tail of religion wag the dog of relationship. Many Christians still live like they're under a guardian rather than having come of age and having a special place in the Father's heart and home. 
very often I see Christians who think like servants of the law rather than sons and daughters of a loving father. Maybe we don't feel obligated to the law, although some Christians act like they are, but we act like we're obligated to some kind of law, a legalism still. This is actually what triggered the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century. Uh, the religion of the church had actually almost entirely taken over the relationship. There were still pockets of relationship, and you see some intense devotional litera- literature come out of uh, the, the medieval church and, and around this time. But one of the things that triggered it were actually priests were going around and selling what were called indulgences. People would pay for an indulgence, which would shorten the time, so they thought, of someone's penance in purgatory. And that was a lie that was perpetrated to raise funds for a church in the Vatican. No wonder people got, once, you know, it was... Martin Luther reading Galatians, which we're going through at the moment, that set it all off. But, you know, Christians still see Christianity as transactional very often. Oh, what do I have to do to get by? What do I have to do to, to be a good Christian? What will actually get me into heaven? Or actually, more specifically, what will keep me out of hell? If I do X, will I go to hell? Will it stop me going to heaven? If I attend church, pay my tithes and don't sleep around, is that enough? If I pay a bit more and sleep around, is that okay? What if I actually serve in the church? Can I get an extra Sunday off? If I pray and believe hard enough, will God bless me? These aren't questions that sons and daughters ask. Particularly ones who have come into a relationship through faith. Remembering that we are adopted sons and daughters. We have an extra privileged position because of that. The thing is, sometimes we reduce faith. We think of faith as what we believe, but... Remember that in verse 22, we said it's through the faithfulness of Jesus that those who believe, who have faith, are saved. So what is faithfulness? What is faith? Abraham took God at his word. He believed in a promise. He trusted in God. The faithfulness of Jesus doesn't come from obligation. It's it's not actually what he believed. It's who he believed in. For Abraham, it was who he believed in. It was who he trusted. Faith, yeah, there's there's content there. We we have to know what we believe, but it's you don't need to know much. It's who we trust that counts, and that is about relationship. That is about commitment. You can tell someone trusts another person not by what they say but by how they act because they act faithfully towards that person. So the son and daughter doesn't ask what they have to do to not anger the father. 
And that might be a question in some human relationships. Maybe you have a father or had a father. You had to ask, how do I not upset my father? But that's because humans are broken. That's not the way it works with God. In Jesus, every offense we have is forgiven. God is not angry. So sons and daughters ask, how can I love my father more deeply? How can I serve him better? Not so I can pass some test, but because I don't have to. Because he has been gracious to me. Law is about ticking off boxes. Love is about delighting to please. So the other day, Andrea and I were out and uh, decided to have lunch out. And Andrea let me have the choice. Knowing what I would choose... So I'm a bit of a fan of Nando's. And that threw me into confusion and turmoil because I know Nando's is not her favourite. <laughs> and I got really confused. I'm like, what do I pick? What do I pick? What do you want? I'm trying to get it out of her. And she's like, in the end, she reminded me about their peri-peri sweet potato chips and my heart was at peace again. <laughs> and my point is that love delights to please the other and that is what a relationship is that's the sort of relationship god has called us into now i think the vibe around bbc is that we are people who operate out of the father's love none of us do it perfectly i don't do that perfectly but that's our disposition rather than obligation and you know you cannot be in a church that is anything like fun if people act out of obligation. <laughs> They're miserable places. But we do have to be on our guard, of course, because we're not perfect. We get, we get tired, you know, if we're not careful, joy can become drudgery. I've been in places like that, as I'm sure many of you have. But that's actually a different issue. The main thing is that we keep walking by the Spirit. But if you do struggle with this, and many Christians do because, you know, we're broken people and God calls us into this relationship and there's bits that sometimes take a lifetime to work on. How do you move from feeling like a servant, like a charge under a guardian, to a son or daughter? Well, Paul says, for a start, the the beginning of this answer is simply faith. How do we come into relationship with God? It is through faith. It is through trusting in what Jesus has done. And then it is in trusting God to heal the broken bits, to continue to build on that. It's about pressing into him. And I know I keep banging on about this. The, the more I walk in Christianity, the more I know, sort of the simpler it becomes. It is just about relating to him. And I know in my own life, it's the times when I'm further away from him. It's the times when I'm too busy or, or whatever, and I'm not spending the time in the word. I'm not spending the time in prayer that things start to go pear-shaped. When I'm closer to him in prayer and in in the word i mean I, I don't know about you but there are times you go through a busy patch haven't read my bible all week haven't spent any substantial time in prayer and then suddenly you just i've got to do this and it's like a breath it really is like a breath of fresh air in your spirit you know and, and it's 
it's just pressing into these and asking God to do the work in us. And sometimes we have to go to one another and ask for prayer. Uh, the Bible says to confess to one another. And that's not just confessing our sins. That's confessing our heartaches and our struggles and pray with me and walk with me and, and help me through this. But if you're in Jesus, you are a child and you don't need to think like you're a charge anymore. You're a son and daughter. You don't need to think like a servant. You are free in Jesus. You are his child and God wants you to embrace that and think like and be free and be his son and daughter. Let's pray and then Fletch is going to come and lead us in communion. Father, we thank you for your grace to us in Jesus, that we don't deserve to be called, you're called your sons and daughters. But we thank you that you do call us that. And Father, I pray that you will enable everyone in this room to grow into the full stature of mature sons and daughters who operate on the basis of love rather than obligation. And Father, may we walk in your joy as we learn to walk in your love. In Jesus' name, amen.